0: The book of Judges. We're going to take chapter 1 tonight. And as we take a look at the book of Judges, a little bit of a background in the beginning, so uh, it sets the understanding and, and the survey of the book. Um, and we will see a very stark contrast between the book of Joshua and the book of Judges. And the main thing you'll catch is the fact under Joshua we saw obedient people um, who God led to conquer the land, the promised land, by them trusting God to do that work for them and for them to be with them. As they see God moving, they moved. They were obedient. They trusted. But in the book of Judges, it's opposite of that. We're going to see the same people, but now they're disobedient and adulterous people we're gonna see a deterioration to defeat. We're having victory, we saw in Joshua. Now in Judges, we're gonna see, yes, in the beginning maybe a victory, but it's gonna immediately turn into deterioration into defeat um, as they choose to not trust God because from time over time again, they're going to be disobedient, Uh, they're gonna rebel against God, they're gonna come back, God's gonna be showing mercy and grace and then they're going to come back to God for a period of time and then they're going to go right back into the spiral back down in deterioration and defeat and they're not going to have the victories that, they, that God wanted to give them victories and uh, we're going to see this played out in the book of, book of Judges. Now the author of Judges is an anonymous, but many believe it's a Samuel because many believe they wrote be, he wrote it because he's that crucial link, that person between the period of Judges and the period of, of the kings. The time and place that this was written, if it was written by Samuel, then it at least was written somewhere between 1043 BC, uh, the beginning of Saul's reign, and then 1004 BC of David's capture of Jerusalem. But the events covered in Judges ranges, if you go back and you'll see these numbers, these dates, fluctuate somewhere around 1380 BC to 1445 BC. But it it kind of captures that last 30 years or so that it really brings into the full time frame of, of the life of Samuel. That's why many people believe that God used Samuel to write this down. We see that in Sam, 1 Samuel chapter 1 through the chapter 25 and all of that taking place in the land of Canaan. This is where the, this all takes place, as you probably know. But what's interesting Now we see, following the death of Joshua, that the godly leader that God used for his people, uh, we see Israel start spiraling down. It starts getting on these cycles that are not good, this deterioration. And uh, Israel plunges and spirals into about about 350 years of the Dark Ages. Um, And this whole other generation is rising up uh, after the going into initially into the promised land. And this next generation, and unfortunately, it's very common even today. You might have had a great, strong grandparent who loved the Lord, served the Lord, just gave it everything to serving God. The next generation comes in, knows and went to church and went there with grandparents their parents I should say and they were going yes and they were involved and everything was great and everything's fine but not as much and not as committed then you see the next generation come in from those parents and they're like do we have to go to church is it important to go to church Yes, grandma and men, but now they've passed on, so we don't have to go to church. I know that the only reason why I went to church is because our grandparents, your parents, my grandparents went to church. Now they've passed. Now we don't really need to go now because we don't feel that obligated. And that's a story I've seen played out so many times in people's lives. And that generation, once they leave the home, They have free will. They just don't even choose to go to church, let alone open up the word or even talk about the things of God. Unless it just seems to be convenient when you say, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So we see that same thing in here in in the Judges. Is that this next generation that's growing up, that, that this generation doesn't even know the Lord, nor the work which God had done through Israel through the book of Joshua that we saw. Even right into Judges, they, we're going to see that they didn't recognize who the power of God and the movement of God and the things of God. They just, even though they went through the religious rituals, still, and they were obligated to meet certain obligations of going to the temples and these, you know, you know the, that that did, They just did it because it was a ritual, routine thing they did because the parents made them. Shouldn't be. We also will see the keys to this book, the book of Judges. It was written more from a thematic than a chronological basis because chapters 16 through 21 actually came for, before, took place before the actual and, and, and actually preceded chapters 3 through 15. So it's not chronological going through Judges. So just so you know that is when you read that. The author shows the readers that are that they cannot really utterly fail. Uh, living out uh, a life that's pleasing to God. Instead, they, they played out and lived a, a, a very important verse there. we find in Judges 21, verse 25, uh, the verse that says, everyone did what was right in their, his own eyes. That really sums up, that verse right there, sums up Judges and, and why they deteriorated to defeat, not victory like we saw in Joshua. And we also will see this common theme of this five-part cycle, this, this spiraling cycle that goes on, and it's repeated and repeated from disobedience and destruction and defeat. There's these, these things that are going to happen. Why? Because the five parts laid out very qu- quickly. First, they sin. They had to go into a servitude realm. The supplication takes place, salvation, God frees them, and then silence. It's just like this. We'll go into more and more of that all the way through the book of Judges, this cycle, this, this, these things that they find themselves in. Now, in the very beginning here in chapter one, we're going to see that they have a victory in the very beginning. We see a victory, a military victory. Uh, success after Joshua's death because it's fresh and new right after Joshua's death. It, it just seemed really natural to keep going, doing what uh, God used Joshua to lead the people. So they had this this memory that says, "Yes, we're going to go in there and we're going to we're going to do exactly what we've been doing. God's with us." But it will quickly turn, and it will re- quickly turn to repeated failure over and over and over of all the tribes because they will not drive out the enemy and take full possession of what God had for them, the promises, and get rid of the junk. Get rid, and I say junk, I'm referring to the sin. You you allow sin to dwell, things like that. For them, they allowed the enemies to dwell within them. They made a choice. I don't need to get all the enemies out of my life, all the giants out of my life. We're going to keep them in there. And the people feel the lack of that unified, central, godly leader because Joshua has now moved on. And if you remember, Joshua did not appoint another godly leader. At the end, you didn't see that God, Joshua, you know, as, as Moses went to Joshua, and Joshua, the whole transformation from Moses on after Joshua, there was no leader there. But we'll see as we get through the verses what God's intent was uh, through that. But because they didn't have that centralized godly leader, their lack of faith in God and the lack of obedience to him because they started questioning and not following and being obedient to God, we'll see that in chapter 2, Lord willing, next week, th- it starts the deterioration uh, in defeat. But here we see right in the very beginning, it said now after the death of Joshua, so it kind of sets the point here in this period of judges, Israel lost the, the, the critical... Next link in godly leadership. It it stopped. And how important it is because God used godly men like Moses was the great leader used by God to bring them out of Egypt. Joshua was Moses' assistant and he discipled him up, trained him up to be the next leader to, to bring the people and to lead God's people into the land of promise. But Joshua appointed no leader after him to guide the whole nation. The nation was now in the promised land, and now it's a critical place in their lives. They have been trained up for generation after generation of following God, the intensity of trusting in God. And God's intent was for them to now follow Him. To purely everyone to follow God, to trust God intensely, solely. Not to follow man. The intent was to follow God, to trust God. And I found that, and I pondered on that, and I said, isn't that interesting? If you take it from a parenting perspective, you're training your children up. They're trusting in mom and dad. They're looking at dad as that leader, that godly leader that's going to they're going to turn to and trust in him and everything and following through and, and every, his word. And it's, it's like, that's the power, that's the strength, that's everything they're drawing from, is Dad. Until they're old enough to have accountability. Until they're old enough, they're trained up. And they realize now that now they, they really need to be looking at their heavenly father. But once they leave that house, when they're no longer under the headship of that father of that household, that young man, that young lady is accountable to God completely on their own. It's a pivotal point in most people's lives at that age, that young adult life. But God gives wonderful human leaders to do His work. There's no question. And God intends to continue to use God's uh, godly people. That's why He set up the, the, the pastoral, the bishop role, the that, 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 that priest role that they had. That there were godly people, godly leaders. That didn't go away. It is always difficult for God's people when those human leaders that were so vital in people's lives, and especially their initial start of walking with the Lord, they just rely on man so much that God has used that man in his life. And it's like, it's like a father figure, like a, like a big brother. It's just, they're so vital, but sometimes God removes those leaders because they do die. They do move on. God moves on them on. But the question is, is it can cause such a problem? Because in such a situation, they may live in the past wishing that that leader was still with them. Oh, I wish Joshua was still with us. Oh, I wish Moses was back with us. Versus trusting in God and allowing maybe you now are that mature, godly person, that godly man that God wants to use in the lives of other people. But after the death of Joshua... During this period of Judges, lasting somewhere about 340-350 years, as as there was no standing office of national leadership for the nation of Israel. That's a long time. They had no king. (laughs) No king. They had no president. No prime minister. They had no leader of the nation. God was the one that was leading God needed to, and godly leaders of all the tribes were to be seeking after God and they were all to be living for God. But there was not one single person bringing all those tribes together. Only God in heaven. Yet at necessary, as we will see in Judges, at the appropriate time in the nation of Israel, God does raise up a leader at that moment in time to help the the nation of Israel, to to bring them back to God. God brought forth leader for the nation. For most part of these leaders would rise up, do their job, and then they actually return back to obscurity. God raised them up, use them for a moment, and then they just straight back into a nice obscurity, just worshiping and living their life for God, but not as a leader. People of God recognize People see the the, the the gifting, the God of leadership of that person. That God is using to lead people, and they want to follow that person because they know that God is using them to lead them as a whole people to go do great things for God. But they never should never make that man a God, a little God. No one should have, and no ministry should be, be built upon a person. It's God who we should be worshiping and follow. Just recognizing that God does raise, raise up p- men to be a leaders for those moments. Now the term "judge" here is sometimes immediately most people think of someone who is with the big black robe, sitting up on the the thrones and making decisions and, and <laughs> guilty, innocent, and uh, get out of here, and you're you know whatever it may be. That's not what judges means here in the in the Hebrew. The Hebrew word is shafat, or is more ideal of a heroic leader. God is going to raise up heroes of the faith, heroes for God to do to save his people, to lead his people. And that's what that word really stands for and means putting that that right person at the right time, at the right place, so they can rule and and help the people to do exactly what God wants them to do for his people to bring them up. Exactly what these men needed to do is to lead at that moment. And we will see that. And the people of Israel had great obstacles, we will see in Judges. They were surrounded by people who lived for the most terrible immorality idolatry, wickedness, it surrounds them in their communities, everywhere. It's not going to be a pretty place there. Constant temptations going on in in that scene. Constant temptation. To do the same sins that God has said to walk away from these adulterous people. Walk, Walk away from these immoral people to stay separated from them. These Canaanites had an adulterous lifestyle. And they lived all around Israel, even though they were supposed to be moved out. They allowed him to dwell in a be and have a strong home inside and around and affect them. And these people, all they thought about is money, sex, and having a relationship with a God or many gods by the way they wanted to worship that God. They wanted to have their own God and, and worship God in their own terms, not God's terms. Does that not sound like today? Temptations everywhere around us. People, all they think about is money and sex. And, and if they do have some form of religion, and even when they don't call it religion, they do follow some adulterous, or idolatry kind of a thing or things. And if you mess with that God of theirs... Hmm, they had come unglued. And if they even have a sense of, of godliness, it's under their own terms. There's not God's truth by the Bible. They make up their own terms. And when you see these things, there's no different back in these days. Dark ages. Now, the book of Jud- Judges shows us a time that's sometimes confusing and difficult and dark. And sometimes people avoid this book, the book of Judges. But I find this is my favorite book. Because it's the fact that when you take a look at Israel's history, and even during these parts what we refer to as the Dark Ages, yet if we neglect this book, we neglect the wonderful account of the love and the graciousness of God on his nation. How he lovingly corrects his people. You'll miss out on that. We will fi- we, you will, what we find out about man in, in Judges is very depressing. It's going to be a heavy book. Don't get me wrong. But don't let that sway you. Because don't look at just the fact that it's just depressing. But what we find out about God in Judges is wonderful in how he deals with his people out of love and out of grace, out of mercy. On the human side, it's a story of disobedience and disaster. Deterioration, spitting out of control, the defeat. But when you look at it from a divine perspective, the fact that the continued direction and deliverance that God never gave up on Israel. Never. How important that we understand it. That God is just. But don't be despaired. Because he's also, who is a God, is merciful. His mercies are new every morning for us. So it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall be first to go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Indeed, I have delivered the land into his hand. Hey, this sounds like they've learned something from Joshua here. They literally went to God themselves, the people, the children, Israel himself, went to the Lord and said, what shall we do? Because remember, God brought them in to conquer all the major military strongholds across the promised land. They divided up the land and they all had their their promised land that they were given, their, their inheritance. But once they got into the lands that they were to possess, they were to possess the whole thing completely and finish the work. And any of these strongholds these Canaanites had, they were to get rid of them. They're supposed to get them out. They were to finish the work. And yes, and, and for them directly in the tribes were to ask God to help them. So they did do this right here. Who shall be the first to go up? Because they didn't know, because they didn't have a leader to tell them. They went to God directly, and, and God responded to them and said, Judah is the one that is going to lead you to do that. That is a, something that they should have continued to go to God all the way through the rest of their history, or their future, I should say. God, what do you want us to do? Who is going to lead us in to do this? Who do you have, God, of, uh, uh, in store to lead us to be able to do what you want us to do? They should have just kept doing this. Because God answered their prayer. Answered right there, Judah shall go up. And indeed, I will deliver the land. So it's not like Judah is going to be doing the work. Judah is just going to lead. So there's a national leader, a focus here. And it's not the entire 12 tribes. It's just the ones that are going to be used at this point in time, as we will see. But they did the right thing. This is exactly what Joshua would have said. Joshua would have told the Lord, what do you want to move forward? And God would have said, I'm with you, let's go forward, and I'll deliver you. Or deliver you from the enemy that's going to come against you. And when Israel sought the Lord, God guided them. When they seek the Lord They sought the Lord through prayer. God, what do you want me to do? God guided them. That truth is still for us today. You seek the Lord. You sought the Lord on something. You went to prayer. You started talking to Him. And God is going to guide you, whatever that is you're asking Him. That doesn't change. God has not changed. The problem is, is many people... As we will see, they went ahead of God and never asked God what it is, and then they get defeated. They started deteriorating, and then they start crying out, saying, like, God, save me. Or even worse, it gets so spiraling down, they don't even ask Him, call out to God, that now they're in fear of God because they know they're completely disobedient and rebellious. And so they would stop. People stop going back to God and, and, and humble themselves and repent and go back to God. They wouldn't do that. So God will have to discipline them by putting them into slavery, putting them into servitude in some form or fashion. They're going to to suffer until they cry out and then they'll be saved again, brought out. But in this case, we can see that when Israel sought the Lord, he guided them. And this should be the constant pattern through the book of Judges where they see, but God never failed to deliver and help his people when they sought him. Nowhere. They all, God always guided them. Always was there if they sought them. It's only when they didn't seek, them, seek him. Jesus expressed the same idea here in Luke chapter 11, verse 9. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock, and it will be opened to you. God, Jesus is just saying to you and I, <laughs> did, did you ask? Are you seeking me for the answer? Are you knocking? Are you, are you really doing your due diligence to really seek after me in the things that you need guidance with? Because you'll find it, I'm right there when we ask God and seek him in sincerity, we should expect that he will answer us clearly. No question. His response may come in an unexpected way. Don't expect it a certain way. But we should expect it. It will come. It will come. So, God directed the tribe of Judah. You're going to rise up. You're going to form and the tribe with the, the uh, that uh, is going to go forth. And remember, tribe of Judah is very important. Why? Because. The tribe of Judah is also the tribe that the the Messiah comes from. Jesus came from the tribe of Judah. So there's no question it was the largest tribe. It had the most people. But it is Judah be used, obviously, historically, as we know in the scriptures, very mightily. So it wasn't a surprise, really, from our perspective. We had no hindsight. But... Uh, But Judah will be, you know, even though they have the largest and strongest tribe, again, the significance of the the tribe of Judah, the Messiah coming through that. And so God's plan had obviously military sense as well, in the fact that they're going to go and have to conquer these Canaanites. But under the leadership of Joshua, Israel had broken the back of Canaanites militarily, but now God needed to use the people to go in and finish that work to possess the whole land. So in verse 3, and so Judah said to Simeon, his brother, come up with me to my allotted territory that we may fight against the Canaanites, and I will likewise go with you to your allotted territory. And so and Simeon went with them. Then Judah went up, and the Lord delivered the Canaanites, and the parasites, into their hand, and they killed 10,000 men at Bezek. And they found Adonai Bezek in Bezek, and fought against him, and they defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Then Adonai Bezek fled, and they pursued him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and big toes. And Adonai Bezek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off, used to gather scraps under my table, as I have done, so God has repaid me. Then they brought him in Jerusalem, and there he died. So the leaders of the tribe of Judah acted wisely here, very wisdom of God. They partnered with another tribe, Simeon the brother, It appears that Judah and Simeon, blood brothers that we see in Genesis 29, where they had a close relationship, he turned to him, Simeon, bro, you're with me, you're going to bring your time, we're going to go up and we're going to go take care of the enemy because the Lord said we need to go and to do this work. And so come with me, that's what he says, come with me. Partnership with me, partner with me, let's go do what God wants us to do here. These tribes function the same way as the church. Same way that God wants the church to be functioning. As a body with each other in unity. Each part of the body helping other parts of the body in unity to accomplish what God wants to accomplish. Unity, love, brotherhood, doing God's will. God doing the work through them. It's the same pattern that we need to see in the church today. And the Lord delivered them, delivered the Canaanites, the Perizzites inside with their hands, uh, seeking the Lord, obeying his guidance, working together as a body, always produces great results and we see it produce great results here. And their success was actually very clear. Anyone the, on the outside watching, gonna, this is going to work. This is, this is gonna, this, God's in this. this, is, this, is really, this is, I can see the spirit of God moving. I can see God moving. There's no question this is what's going to play out. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hands, no question. They killed 10,000 men. But they found the leader, Adonai Bezek. And what's interesting, his name is, stands for Lord of Lightning. And then this enemy was someone to fear. It wasn't an easy thing to go do this. They had to go up and go against a very, very difficult enemy. We even get a little sense of the, the, the barbaric kind of suffering kind of guy this guy was. Because they, when they found them, immediately they cut off the finger, the, the thumbs and the toes. Because once you cut them off, then you are not able to fight. You don't have the grip to hold on to a sword. You don't have the leverage to run and to have power on those legs. And it says right here in the scripture that he, he conquered 70 kings and he cut off their toes and their fingers so that they, had, they couldn't do anything but serve under his table and eat the scraps. And he recognized what you sow, you shall reap. That's what I did to 70 kings. And now, as a king, I am facing what I just did to these other people. And then he died. Then we see in verses 18 through 20 here Judah's victories in the southern part of the land. That was given to Israel. We see here now the children of Judah fought against Jerusalem and took it. They struck it with the edge of the sword and the, set the, the city on fire. And afterward the children of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites who dwelt. And notice here in this part of the scripture. They went and dwelt. these. The Canaanites dwelt in the mountains. In the south. And in the lowlands, three areas that they, they dominated there. And they were still there, even after the God had already taken the tribes to go through and clean them out. They were still holding out in the mountains, holding out in the south, holding out in the lowlands, just to, trying to see if they can continue to be there. But then Judah went against the Canaanites who dwelt in Hebron. Now the name of Hebron was formerly Kirjath Arba. And they killed three sons. These right here, these three guys right here, uh, Shishai, uh, Heman, and Talamai. These three guys, these were the three sons, the giants of Anak. These were the big giants. That he ended up taking them out. And from there, they went against the inhabitants of Debar. Debar uh, was formerly... Kirjath Sefer, then Caleb, oh, Caleb comes back on the scene. You know, remember Caleb? He's one of the faithful and uh, solid faithful guy who got his land right in front there, but he was one of the two with Joshua, buds. But uh, Caleb said, whoever attacks Kirjath Sefer and takes it to him, I will give my daughter uh, Aksha, his wife and Othanel, the son of Kenes, Caleb's younger brother, took it, so he gave him his, his daughter as a wife. Now it happened when she came to him and she urged him to ask her father for a field, and she dismounted from her donkey, and Caleb said to her, What do you wish? So she said to him, Give me a blessing, since you have given me the land of the south, and give me also the springs of the water. And Caleb gave her, dad gave her, <laughs> dad gave the daughter. It's so one of those things that just happens, you know. Dad gave the, the daughter of the upper springs, the lower springs, now the children of Kenite. Moses' father-in-law went up from the city of Palms. Now some people believe this is Jericho because we see the, that reference, but some believe that the city of Palms might have been another person because of the location of where Jericho is based on. What they're sitting here because the children of Judah went into the wilderness of Judah, which lies in the south near Arad, which is at the southern part of the um, Dead Sea area. Uh, somewhere down that area. And they went and dwelt among the people. And Judah went with his brother Simeon. And they attacked the Canaanites who inhabited uh, Ziph- Ziph- Zivith and utterly destroyed it. And the name of the city was called Horm- Hormah. Also Judah took Gaza with its territory. And it goes on and on in here around. They go to all these places here. So the thing here that we kind of take away from these verses 8 through 20 is that it's recording the city of Jerusalem fell um, to Judah. It was occupied for a time. Uh, Adonai Berzik was taken there and died there, as we will see, and, and, as we've read. But later... We know in Judges, uh, when we get in in 21, it appears that it may fall back into the Jebusites' territory or, or control. But then, under the leadership of King David, as we know historically, and when we read in 2 Samuel chapter 5, 400 years later, King David comes back and takes over Jerusalem. So, historically, Judah gets the land, they lose the Jebusites, get the land, they go back and forth. It's not until King David comes on the scene in 2 Samuel, 400 years later, that we actually see. Now when you look from a historical purposes, this, the city of Jerusalem was one of the oldest cities in the world, having been occupied back and forth through a 5,000 year period of time. It's amazing when you go back and do some studies on the history of this, and which cities and who owns what and where and when. But the main thing of this gist of the scripture here, getting started in uh, in Judges here, is that Judah uh, conquered Hebron and the city was given to a faithful Caleb and his family to be able to oversee. Now, as we look back and you do a word study on Hebron, you'll find that the ancient city of Abraham the city which discouraged the ten unfaithful spies from taking the promised land the first time, under the leadership of Moses. Now Caleb, and I found that connection going, well, Caleb is now involved with this city where him and Joshua said, this is a great place, but the other ten spies said, ah, we don't want this. This is all, the enemies are bad. It's really cool that Caleb actually gets to oversee that territory that he said, oh, this is great. If you find those little connections, I like those little connections. And you can go back to Numbers 13 to read that. But in these lands, we see the Canaanites were just literally—they were—they weren't just the guys and the families living on the Mediterranean Sea and and having the beach life. (laughs) That didn't mention anything about the the shores. They were in the lowlands. They were in the mountains, and they were in the south. These were hard, the hard guys uh, and families that could uh, to 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 work through. And it's interesting that when you look at this, that uh, at the end of the part that I didn't I didn't finish reading there, but one of the territories that we take a look at in, in the Gaza and in the inhabitants of the lowland, they had difficulty there at the very end of nineteen and twenty verses nineteen and twenty. One of the challenges that they faced in those, uh, those who were dwelling in the inhabitants of the lowland, they had chariots of iron. That means they had some, some sophisticated war, war machines, is really what that meant. You know, you're going up against uh, someone who has a war machine, uh, military might that you didn't have. And so, when we take a look at that, and you see the fact that that was difficult, uh, and why so many wouldn't want to challenge them, and they couldn't overcome them in many regards, it's impressive that Judah's victory was still. It didn't matter. It was, you know, Judah just recognized, or the people recognized, it wasn't. It was incomplete. They did not defeat the nations in the this this. This, yes, in some aspect, but these ones with the chariots of iron became more and more of a hindrance for them to take the full possession because of that might. Now this spoke to Judah's, somewhat Judah's lack of trust in God uh, that didn't, uh, to the Canaanite military superiority here because chariots were, no, were not a problem for God's people when they completely trusted in God to go in and go forth and go forward, they never were a problem. They never had a problem. And so when i ponder pondering on this, going, you know, it doesn't matter what the, the confrontation or what the barrier or the wall is. When God is leading you and God is going to do it, it nothing's going to stop him. Nothing's going to stop him. It's only when they stopped and had lack of trust, the lack of faith, the lack of uh, trusting in God and letting him lead, then the things that seem to be mightier and bigger becomes a stumbling block to to moving forward. And so I I ponder this. So if someone has a challenge in their life and a stronghold in their life and it seems to be really, really strong and you can't get rid of it, you have a tendency or people have a tendency to go, well, I've tried it before and I've tried this and I've tried that and I've tried this steps and 10 steps and 12, 12 steps and dozy dos do steps. I've tried everything. I've read this book. I've read that book. They're relying on everything except God to conquer, to lead. All you have to do is follow. And He removes them. It doesn't matter how long that, that sin has been in your life. He will remove it. It doesn't matter how how deep that bitterness is. He will remove it. It doesn't matter how disunity and how wrong this is. If you will trust God and follow God, He's going to remove it. No chariots of iron is going to stop you from progressing forward to doing what God's called you to do and do it His way and to please Him. But it's this attitude when you have an attitude that God is in control and you trust God with everything, there's no question there's going to happen, the chariots are no big problem. But in Psalm 20, verse 7, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. That's who we trust. That's who we remember. Not your resources. Not your strength, personal strength. Not past not past achievement. We're talking now, here and now, God is doing a work. Do you trust that? Do you trust God is here now, present, ready to, for, you to, for us to follow him? To do whatever God's calls to do the great things he wants us to do for him in his kingdom? The fact that he will get rid of these giants, just like the Anakin, these three sons, they took them out. Caleb's victory over the sons of Anak showed that they trusted Israel could accomplish this. They, they, before it was, became a stumbling block to the ten, the ten spies. But not Caleb, not Joshua, not, not the thing. They knew that God could take care of this. And with God's help, Caleb defeated them. But in some cases, the rest of the tribes didn't do what God, uh, Judah and Simeon did. We see here in verse 21 a tribe of Benjamin does not take possession here of Jer- Jerusalem like he supposedly says, but the children of Jer- Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who inhabited Jerusalem. So the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Because Benjamin did not do and seek God and say, how am we going to get these people out? They ended up letting the Jebusites rule in Jerusalem. he will take a where He's going to overcome Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin. And then it won't be until 400 years later when King David comes in to be able to free him from all that. But this was the case. This was the case where the battle had already been won by God back in Judges 1.8, right? God had already shown and said, children of Judah fought against Jerusalem and took it and they struck it with the edge of the sword and set the city on fire. Right there in verse 8 of chapter 1. We just read it. But they didn't do anything with it. They did not continue to move forward with it. Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites. Up until the time of the writer of the book of Judges, the tribe of Benjamin failed to cast out the Jebusites and therefore lived in constant military and spiritual danger for that tribe. Because they would not do what God's called them to do. Now verses 20 through 26, we now see the house of Joseph here. And he's going. To, they're gonna look at the a city specifically of Bethel here. The house of Joseph also went up against Bethel, the Lord. Was with them, so the house of Joseph sent men, sent men to spy out Bethel. The name of the city was formerly Luz. And when the spies saw a man coming out of the city, they said to him, "Please show us the entrance to the city, and we will show you mercy." So he showed them the entrance to the city, and they struck the city with the edge of the sword, but they let the man and all his family go. And the man went to the land of the Hittites, built a city, and called its name Luz, which is its named to this day. The guy got out of town, went started another city, loved the name of the city, and named it after the city he just came out of. Quite funny when you think about that. I, 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 it kind of hit me. If you ever gone to Maine and you get across the states, you literally see the same names from all the way from the East Coast all the way to the West Coast, because people just kept going, hey, honey, let's get the wagon. Let's go. We're going West. And you get there and say, well, honey, we're not going any further. We're going to plant a little house, a little place right here and create a little village. And we'll, we'll name it based on our, our place we just left on the East Coast. It's, it's nothing new under the sun, right? It's kind of funny when I think about it. When I, Maybe not for you, but it was for me. And so the interesting is that the house of Joseph, interesting and somewhat rare combining of two tribes came from Joseph here because normally we see when Joseph is talked about in previous books it was always about Ephraim and Manasseh dividing up the land was, it was Ephraim and Manasseh here they combine and talks about the house of Joseph one group the house of Joseph here and we might credit the victory that they were having here effective use of the military um, espionage right there was a little bit of espionage going on here but the real reason why they won is because the Lord was with them. God gave them the knowledge of how to do it. They kind of they, they the men in all their family, you know they they seem to use this 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 mechanism and some habits and things they've learned from history and conquering Jericho and others and Rahab and all these things and events. They all come into play when they're now taking on future and some other issues here. that We see here. Um, to be able to, to get victory, because God is leading them. Verses 27 through 29, we now see uh, Manasseh and Ephraim fail to drive out. So again, Joseph's the house, got victory, but what did you do with it here? So however, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Bethsheen and its villages. And it goes down through here, the same thing, the same, as you read through this, we see the fact that they did not finish the work. They did not take the, 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 the first, they had these, all these pockets of Canaanites and tribes and they're supposed to push them out. They had victory. They had the, God was moving and, and, and working, but then they stopped doing it. They stopped doing the work. They did not complete the work that God said to finish. They did not finish well. They didn't finish well. God, please do a fresh work in my life. God, help me work to do this, this ministry you've called me to do. And, and God says, I'm with you. I'm going to move forward. We're going to get rid of all the barriers. We're going, to, we're going to see fruit from this in your life and in the ministry. We're going to move forward. But if you do not continue and not complete the what he's asking you to do, and you say, I've had enough. I don't want to do it anymore. I'm tired. I'm, I'm, I'm giving I, I, I give someone else to do it you realize you don't finish well. You must finish well. We must finish well. That's one of the things I learned coming from this this teaching today is that that we must complete and drive out anything that's hindering and what's anything in our lives or anything that would cause any disunion or anything. We've got to get it out because we want to finish well with God and doing what he's called us to do. We've got to deal with it. We can't slack in dealing with these things in, these, in our areas of our lives. We're never to make peace treaty with our sins. We're to drive them out. Let's drive them out. Then there's the tribe of Zebulun. Nor did Zebulun drive out the inhabitants of Kitron or the inhabitants of Nahal. So the Canaanites dwell among them and were put under tribute. They were, they were, they were accepted. They were brought in. They were say, like, okay, we're not going to fight you. Why don't we just learn how to cohabitate and work together here? Each tribe had their own responsibility. Their own battles to fight. But Zebulun, like the other ones, failed to take all that God had portioned for them. They wouldn't do the hard work. The people of Zebulun thought they could make their incomplete obedience, partial obedience, work in their advantage. Partial obedience is still what? Disobedience. Especially in their advantage, because I I saw an economical advantage here. People will compromise when it comes to economical advantage. But they fail to appreciate that the Canaanites who dwelt among them would eventually bring them into social and spiritual crisis. But this, this, you know, Pastor, you don't understand. I know we're supposed to be equally yoked in marriage, but what about business? I, I, this is Economically, this is a really good thing. You're compromising. You're making bad decisions. You're going to go into crisis. It's only a matter of time. you don't understand it's not a big deal with my my kids do this and and and, and go and have they have that freedom they're gonna learn they can learn through their own mistakes and and stuff they live on your roof right yeah but you're held responsible but, but but they're they're kind of young adults i mean they're yeah they're 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 40 and they're living with me still as a as an 80 year old but yeah 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 but the it's economic advantage if they live with me but they're living wicked lives, and they're living under your house, and you're the head of the house. It's going to be a crisis. It's only a matter of time. Then we see in verse thirty-one and thirty-two the tribe of Asher. Nor did Asher drive out the inhabitants of Echo, and the, or the inhabitants of Sidon or of these other locations here dwelt among again. Even Ash, even the tribe of Asher did not drive out. They failed to take what God had apportioned to them and to drive it out and solidify that. Each tribe who failed made it easier for the other tribes also to fail. That's a, another lesson here. They watched each tribe. They didn't do, they didn't do it right, they didn't do it right. It will automatically almost like flow right into everyone else will then makes it easy for the other tribes to fail. That's why I always get concerned when people sit there, oh, I love the Lord. Oh, I'm doing this working service and they get involved in the, in, in, the, in the serving of the Lord. And then all of a sudden, bam, I'm not going to follow the Lord anymore. Oh, I'm going to go back to the old world. It has a tremendous effect on other believers. It can cause others to stumble and go back to the world. To compromise. That's why we have such a responsibility to live for the Lord and to to live with the joy of the Lord. Because that, He is our strength. And if we don't live with the joy of the Lord, we don't live like God wants us to do, others can be affected by that. Then you got the tribe of Naphtali. Oh, all no kinds of compromises and accommodations of the Canaanites in this one. Nor did Naphtali drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh, and for the inhabitants of Beth Anath. But they dwelt among the Canaanites. They, they dwelt. They were part of. They were in there. They were completely the inhabitants of the land. Nevertheless, the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and Beth Enath, we're put under tribute to them. Again, financial arrangements accepted. We're all good, we'll be fine. You stay in, maybe on that side of the track, we'll stay on this side of the track, but we still gotta do all kinds of business and work together, we won't fight anymore because we're all tired. Why? There's a trend. You accepted it, they've accepted it, they did it, and they're fine with it. Guess what happens in the church? I'm just pondering on this. I'm like, Lord, look at what's happening. This is what's happening. It's because there's a comedian and all these things out there. One church compromises and walks away from the Word of God, and it's almost, oh, did you see? The mega church over here is doing it. We can do it. That's how we're going to be mega church. And then all of that church says, we're a little tiny church, but we can still do it. And then the next church hears what they're doing. After a while, you start seeing one church after another walking away from the Word of God and to bringing in the world into the church, compromising at every single level. We must stay strong. We must stay with the Word of God. We must not compromise. We must not make accommodations with the world. Are you with me here? Do you understand? You cannot look at your family members and say, My family members are doing it. It's against the word of God. I don't know, but they seem to be getting well, and they, they got a house now, and they've got this, they're doing that. Don't compromise and don't accommodate sinful family members having influence in your home. But their family, they're wicked. They go against the word of God. Why are you letting them having this much influence and time with you? They've already told you they didn't want you to talk about the things of God. They refuse for you to have the things of God. But then my, the grandparents will see the kids. Or we, my, 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 my siblings will see the kids. Who are you going to follow? Are you following God or are you following your family? Jesus said it very clearly. Who is my father, my mother, my, ki- my sisters, my brothers? Only those who follow me. Why do you think he taught that? Why do you think he made that bold statement? We're not careful people that are supposedly, are supposed to be for you will turn against you. We see in the end times, your brothers and sisters, your families will turn against you because they don't know God. They'll turn you in in a heartbeat when things get difficult. You must, like the tribe, when God says you must protect, move forward doing the way he says to do it, you must live the way he says to live. You cannot compromise. and You cannot make accommodations with the enemy. If you do, you start making arrangements and tribute with them. Watch out. You're going to be in crisis. It's only a matter of time. They had no problem aptly to be part of and and just living a life there. And verses 34 through 36, we see the tribe of Dan. Again, they don't do well either. And the Amorites forced the children of Dan into the mountains. They forced them. Remember, they had land lower. They forced them up into the upper part of the mountains. Remember, they had to go north there, for they would not allow them to come down to the valley. And the Amorites were determined to dwell in Mount Heres, and Ajalon and the Shalbim yet when the strength of the house of Joseph became greater there's Joseph again they were put under tribute now the boundaries of the Emirates was from the ascent of Akrabim from Selah and upwards. So even though the house of Joseph, remember, I think if I remember correctly, when we were breaking up the land, Dan was down there and Joseph was incorporating and is getting bigger and bigger, even the strength, they still tribute under, they brought him in. Uh, and again, the, Dan could not push him out because they weren't with God to help him, have God push him out. They were. We see the people of God was being pushed around by the enemies. Not, not God's people pushing the people out, that the enemies were pushing God's people around, and it should never be the case. When God's people are walking in the strength of their God, no enemy should be pushing you around. Do you understand that? No enemy should be pushing you around if you're walking in the strength of God. Again, instead of doing what God should, said should be done in the, with these enemies to completely drive them out, they decided to use them as they ought, thought best. We could how to kind of bring them in and, and bring them into our and find us some cohesive and some balance of life together. The end result was the Amorites had an appointed boundary within the inheritance of, Of God's people. They established right here in the scripture. The boundary of the Amorites. They made a very dangerous accommodation. For the enemy to dwell. And to get strong. Right in the middle of their presence. Social, spiritual enemies. Of the people of God. And we see that through the rest of the scriptures. The Amorites literally. Just making havoc with God's people. See. I see this, and when I see this, I, one word came to my mind, and that was the very dangerous, the very seductive attitude or attitude of passivism. Just being passive. Let it go. Passive. Let it go. Passive. Let it go. Passive. Let it go. If you have a passive way about you as in your Christian life, watch out. Because you're ignoring the realities of spiritual warfare. You're ignoring what it can come against you. And this pacifist attitude will happily make a peace with the devil if you're not careful. That's fine. I, let's, let's just see if we can find peace here with you as the enemy, because I, 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 don't want to, I don't like conflict. I don't like having to deal with these things. It's an attitude of spiritual surrender that is unacceptable as a Christian. We must understand that passivism is not the answer of dealing with the enemy the devil, spiritual warfare that's coming against you. They could have had victory. But instead, their deterioration was right into the defeat. And that's the saddest thing. There was nothing left incomplete in the victory God had won for his people. He won for us on the cross and through the resurrection, we have victory. We must live our lives based on victory. We must fully possess what God has given us to continue to live for him. And we must not compromise. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you again for your grace and your mercy. And what a f- wonderful book to be able to start, Lord, to, here on Wednesday nights. To be able to, to learn many things Many things from the book of Judges. Help us, Holy Spirit, to apply it to our lives and learn these lessons and apply and live for you in victory. In Jesus' name, amen.